Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. came across this uh, video clip this week where on security camera a man is seen walking into a building about to surprise his special lady with Valentine's Day gifts. I think he's got a balloon and some flowers and some sweets and it doesn't end up very sweet for him because the, the balloon he's walking in and the balloon gets caught in the door behind him and he goes to save the balloon and then the flowers fall on the floor, the tulips, and then he goes to save those and all the sweets that look like little cupcakes land on the floor. And you see him at the end here just trying to pick it all up and fix it. And then he just gets up. And this is the best part because you, you think this video clip is over because it's, he's frozen, right? That's just him in despondency, just motionless. <laughs> just like, what just happened, right? And uh, I just, I thought that, you know, I, that that is a perfect little taste of what goes on in our passage today in Exodus and in Moses' life. Um, sometimes life is like that sometimes. Things just seem to go from bad to worse, you know. Uh, one domino falls over and it's like, two, three, four more dominoes go down with it, and we're just left in life going, what in the world is happening? You know, I I laugh about it, but in all reality, uh, it can be pretty painful. Uh, We can start to question God a lot. You know, I think sometimes we think in life, even in in the Christian life, you know, it's just going to be like driving a car. We're going to hop in. Turn the key, it's going to start, we're going to hit the gas, and it's going to go. Predictably. Unquestionably. You know, and, and the reality is that life rarely works that way. It doesn't go as we predict it, it will. Um, sometimes we hit the gas and we realize, well, we're in the wrong gear. Right? Or like my wife's van this morning on the way in. It's downshifting when it shouldn't. You know, it was just like, ah, God's making me apply this message this morning. Uh, our van's transmission is screwing up this week. I uh, just, uncontrolled. We can't control it. It is not predictable at this point. So, um, there's breakdowns in our lives. There's times where the van won't start. There's times where we experience setback, setbacks and undesirable circumstances. And as Christians, we're going to, you know, it, you got more layers on the cake now, right? Because people, the world hates us, right? We're hated for the sake of his name. You know, sometimes in this world, we're going to experience opposition. Maybe we'll experience some, some persecution. And, and uh, to be honest, right, uh, just think we might get confused by just how, how long and difficult this whole sanctification process is in our lives, yeah, God just, just, you know, he 
does not, we are saints, but he doesn't make saints overnight. You know what I'm saying? It's a long process. Learning to walk with Christ and, and grow in him. So uh, this whole heavenly call thing that we've been talking about, taking up our cross, it's a lot more difficult than we might have first imagined. And, uh, you know, the, the question, really, I'll get to the point. The question I want to center us around this morning is not, uh, are we going to experience deep discouragement in life? It's, it's, how do we deal with deep discouragement, right? Where do we turn when we're facing deep discouragement? And where do we go for strength? Where do we go for sanity? Where do we go for encouragement when life stinks? That's the question. So we'll pick it up. Um, Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. Moses, at this point, uh, has hesitantly accepted God's call on his life to, to be a deliverer of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. And today he arrives in Egypt, finally, after being gone for 40 years in the desert. But let's read verses uh, 27 through the rest of the chapter. Uh, now the Lord said to Aaron, uh, Go meet Moses in the wilderness. And so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him uh, with a brotherly kiss, right? Uh, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. And uh, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and they worshipped. So, uh, first thing we see is God's people believe. Right? Uh, the opening scene that we see here uh, very, is very upbeat. It's very joyful. We might say even doxological. They're just praising God. Uh, Israel and responds to Moses and Aaron, you know, you know, he's been gone 40 years, but they receive him well. Uh, they're very, they're excited to hear that God has, after 400 years of, of silence, appeared to them just as he promised in Genesis 15, and they're comforted by his concern for them. Uh, Moses and Aaron performed the signs God gave them. And, and which was, you know, like the leprous hand, the staff turning into a snake, uh, water turning into blood, that sort of thing. And uh, they see these signs and, wow, we believe. They, ha they have hope. They're, they're optimistic. They have faith. Okay? And so for Moses at this point, everything's going just as planned. Uh, he, he seems pretty confident and excited at this point. And they, him and Aaron go right to Pharaoh. They don't let any grass grow under their feet. Let's look at uh, the first confrontation with Pharaoh in verses uh, 1 through 22. Look at verse 1 here. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Uh, you, you can imagine there, imagine him with his staff in his hand. Let, this is what God says. Let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. So, again, the picture here is great confidence, right? Optimism, faith, and, and uh, I, would, I would too, right? If I was performing these amazing signs and, you know, I just 
witnessed God. God just appeared to me like that, man. So they're, they're bold. But look at Pharaoh. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Don't you want to shut his lips for him? At, right? Like, uh, you know what you're saying? Right? You're, you're going to get in trouble here. But he says, I don't know the Lord. And besides, I won't let Israel go. So Pharaoh might as well have laughed out loud at these guys. Right? He doesn't think, not, not just much of Yahweh, he doesn't think anything of Yahweh. He says, who is the Lord? Well, he's about to find out. You know, but you have to think, though, that, that this guy is the most powerful man in the world at the time. And not only that, uh, think about this. In Egyptian theology, in their belief system, uh, Pharaoh is the most powerful god there is. Uh, in Egyptian thinking, he's actually, get this, he's viewed as the incarnation of the three most important gods in Egypt. So, according to Dr. Randall Price, he is the incarnation of the god Horus in life, the incarnation of the god Osiris in the afterlife, and then he was called the son of Ra, the god, this god of the sun um, in life. Like the, He's also called the son of or the, the God of heaven. So basically, he is the embodiment of these gods, the incarnation of them. So his words are actually viewed as the words of God. Uh, but this, uh, we think this, this sounds kind of strange. I can see it on your faces. But um, think about Caesar. Caesar, the empirical cult in Rome, you know, in Jesus' day. He's viewed as God, right? He's someone to worship. This is not strange in, in ancient Near East uh, uh, empires. We see divine power and qualities attributed to all sorts of ancient Near Eastern rulers, even with Caesar in the early church days. You don't bow down and offer incense to Caesar, the God, right? You're dead. But um, as the primary God of the world at this time, now you see why there's this huge confrontation between God and Pharaoh, right? Between Yahweh and Pharaoh. Uh, there's a, why, and why God would demonstrate his power over Pharaoh. Pharaoh's claiming to be God. Who's really God, right? Who's really the sovereign one? Well, the one controlling Pharaoh is. So let's look at verse 3. They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Uh, please let us go. Let's see how nice he is. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will strike us with a plague or with the sword. But the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, just another term for him, but said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you let the people neglect their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. And so the, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Have them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall impose on them the quota of bricks which they were making before. You are not to reduce any of it, because they are lazy. And for that reason, they cry out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their labor be heavier on the men and have them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. Basically, work them to death. 
essentially. But so Moses and Aaron, they, they come to Pharaoh. They say what God has told them to say. Exactly, like Exodus 3.18. That is to go out into the wilderness and worship. But it doesn't happen. Pharaoh shuts it down. He rejects it. The Israelites, by the way, would sacrifice animals that Egypt uh, worshipped. <laughs> uh, so they would need to go out of Egypt proper to, uh, to worship God. Uh, that seems like the, the right thing to do. And ancient sources also reveal that this was a, a reasonable request in ancient Egypt. Um, Egyptians had annual religious festivals that they would celebrate um, for their gods, their, their pantheon of Egyptian gods. And, and even Egyptian slaves would be granted time off from work to attend these different uh, festivals. And uh, like you, you read about there, uh, the, the sword and the plague, like if you didn't obey the gods, right, it was understood that you could expect wrath from that god. And so this really is just an ordinary request that we see here in their cultural context, and it is a request that Pharaoh at times did grant, even for slaves. And um, I don't know about you, but when I read it, though, I, I see the request is a bit hesitant, right? Like it's a bit temporal not very straightforward, like uh, just going to go out into the wilderness for a few days or is this going to be a permanent thing? It just doesn't seem very straightforward. And, and right or wrong, they said what God told them to say. And I think this, is, this first confrontation with Pharaoh is somewhat like a test for Pharaoh. And then secondly, it's a revelation for us that showing us that Pharaoh has zero intentions of letting Israel go uh, uh, not just permanently, but even just for a few days. Like they're, they could, they're not even allowed to take a day off, right? Because Pharaoh views Israel, remember he says there's a lot of them, they're viewed as a threat to Pharaoh. And, and, if, and if this is, uh, like I think it is, about you know midway through the 15th century B.C., um, the early date of the Exodus, then they've just battled these Hyksos rulers who were like a Semitic people, uh, you know, that had come in earlier, not long before this, and Egypt had to overthrow them. And that's how Egypt developed this big military, right? Because they've, they were overtaken by a Semitic people, just like the Israelites, they're a Semitic people. Uh, and so, again, the, the threat is there, and he's not, he's not going to let this large, cheap labor pool, right, just go into the wilderness of worship where they can get some sort of idea about, you know, overthrowing Pharaoh or maybe dreaming of escaping. He doesn't want them rested up. He wants them um, basically wore out, down in the dumps, dumps type of stuff, and living in despair. And uh, so no, no negotiations, no questions. Just increase the workload. That's what's going on here. Um, things just go from bad to worse. Just like that guy we saw in the video, right? It just gets, it gets even worse. Um, he says that now they must find straw for themselves to make bricks. And the, the straw was the binding agent that they used to keep the bricks uh, from cracking and shrinking as they dried. And now they have to find their own straw. It's not provided for them. And they have to keep meeting the same quota. And it's, it's really interesting that we have... 
uh, just to bolster your faith a little bit in the, in the record here, but we have real other written records that we've uncovered uh, that say the same exact thing, basically. Uh, if, if a slave was not doing what he was told to do, they would just increase the load on him. That was your punishment. And, and in exactly the same way, right? Don't give them straw. It was the same thing. We even have like mud brick structures that um, start out on the, the beginning layer, start out with straw in them, and as you work your way up, the straw disappears. They ran out of straw. It's just really interesting, a uh, side note. But um, the developing plot here is that Israel will be delivered solely by the power of God. This is the Exodus glorifies God and His power. And uh, it's not going to happen because of Egypt's generosity. And it's not going to happen because Moses and Israel are just really clever. Right? The only way you, you're going to find deliverance is through the power of God. And parallel that with our salvation. Right? We cannot save ourselves. God has to deliver us. He must deliver us. We don't pay for our own sins. Jesus did it for us. He does that. So, Verse 10, let's continue. The taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, uh, this is what Pharaoh says, I'm not going to give you any straw. You go, get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. And so the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as you had, uh, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, Why have you not completed your required task of making bricks, either yesterday or today, as before? And then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants. There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. Well, that's the whole point. Um, and behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy, very lazy, and for that reason you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, but you must deliver this quota of bricks. And the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble, since they were told, You must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. And when they had left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, because you have made us repulsive. Uh, literally, you have made us stink. You've made us a stench in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They understood that's exactly what Pharaoh was going to do. He cares nothing about the Israelites. And by increasing this quota, he's hoping to just exhaust them into the ground. So this is where God's people become despondent and understandably so. Uh, chapter 6, verse 9 adds to this saying, The sons of Israel become despondent uh, of little spirit because of their cruel bondage that they're in. Uh, they just give up hope. And so you go from chapter 4, all excited, uh, optimistic, faith, to complete despair. I mean, they're done. And 
just to affirm the reliability of your Bible again for a second, like all of these details that we just read about quotas and brick making, the, we find these all throughout the records, including requests for time off to perform religious duties. Um, but the last thing uh, Pharaoh is, is going to do is, he's, is let Israel go. He's not going to even allow them to... You know this. The the, the he's not, he just he literally he just wants to drive them into despair, and, and he's good at it. Don't you you see that right? Uh, Israel and Moses end up in despair, questioning God. And, and Pharaoh he's <laughs> he's smart, right? He's when when Israel the Israel foremen come to him, um. He creates a civil war between them, between Israel and their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And, uh, you know, I look at this situation, I can't help but think, this is exactly how we see the enemy working today. You know, when, when people get excited about, about God, or they get excited about the things of God, maybe serving God, going to church again, reading my Bible again. There's, this, there's a certain spiritual fervor taking place in someone's heart. You know what he's going to do, right? He's going to come along, and he's going to discourage them. And he's going to distract them. Because uh, he, he doesn't want to see any spiritual fervor. Right? Uh, it, it maybe if you, you just have no interest in God whatsoever and, and you just could care less about the things of God, he'll leave you alone. <laughs> right? But if you start seeking God, you start uh, pursuing him, you start growing in Christ, watch out. Right? He'll start to dig his heels in and he'll start to oppose you and seek to discourage you. And so you have to think that some difficulties are a sign that you're a threat to him. That's why I really wasn't that bothered by all of the things going wrong this morning with our sound system and uh, dealing with the sound system. And my wife calls, the van's not working. And it's like, well, must be doing something right this morning. You know? Sometimes you just have to look at it that way. Um, Hey, we're in a spiritual war here. And, And Ephesians 6 says you need to be prepared for battle. Be prepared for it, right? Take up the armor of God because uh, you're in a war and it's not going to be easy. No one said taking up a cross and following Jesus was easy. But here's where God's people, the foremen and the leaders of Israel go wrong. Here's where they, look where they turn. They turn to Pharaoh. So in their discouragement, their deep discouragement, they turn to Pharaoh. They turn to the secular powers for relief, not God. Instead of holding a prayer meeting and, and, and believing God would set them free and ask God for wisdom, they go to the secular powers and, and start criticizing God's leadership. They blame the men whom God appointed, the men who didn't even appoint themselves. And that's basically just a preview of coming attractions, by the way. But their initial excitement turns to bitter resentment and uh, it's difficult to see in our translations in English but the foreman put a Moses and Aaron under a poetic curse there's a poetic curse that takes place here saying you've made us a stench to Pharaoh and that's actually where I got the title of the sermon today if you couldn't tell but the situation stinks you know and 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 it went from bad to worse like a 
a rotten egg or a rotten vegetable. You guys ever smelled a rotten potato? A rotting potato? They can be the worst, right? That's what that made me think of when I think of something that stinks. Or maybe the, the socks in your gym locker that are sitting in the bottom of your gym locker. That stinks pretty bad, too. And uh, anyway, this, this stinks, right? The, in Egyptian thinking, you didn't want to stink to the gods. You don't want to stink. If you were a stench to the gods, this is how they thought of it, then like Pharaoh, if you stunk to Pharaoh who's viewed as a god, well then, you can expect judgment, right? Because you're repulsive to that god. And so... Moses is pretty shaken up by this. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. So, uh, Moses is lamenting before God. Uh, about his calling, about God's lack of activity. And uh, I don't want to give him too much of a hard time because this is real lament. Lamenting is a thing. Jesus even said on the cross, why have you forsaken me? You know, uh, the conditions are very real. People are, are, are hurting. Uh, they're struggling. But at the same time, Moses' problem is that he thinks that he should know when God is going to fulfill his promises. He thinks he knows how and when God should fulfill his promises. And that's where he screwed up. You know, because he, he thought this was going to be a slam dunk. Right? God was gonna, he was going to come in and expect Pharaoh to just say, Okay, you guys can go. You know, as if it's just going to be a cakewalk. But Moses should know better than that. Uh, God warned Pharaoh, or God warned him that Pharaoh was going to be difficult, right? When he said, when he called him, and it's interesting, right? Because this is this is how we we tend to operate. Hey, God, God gives us a promise or, or whatever, and, and 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 we only hear maybe in God's word even what's good and what we like about it and what you know. I, I, what we like about it, I guess. That's all I want to say. You know, and we disregard some of the difficulties in it. I'll take the eternal life. Don't give me a cross, though. Right? I just want my fireproof ticket. Don't actually make me follow Jesus. I think that's how we operate. We want the reward, but not the discipline along the way to the reward. You know? And uh, just think, think about how he questions God here. Why have you brought harm to these people? So he's blaming God. He's questioning God's goodness. Why did you ever send me? Is questioning God's call and purposes. And you have not delivered this people at all. Is questioning God's faithfulness to his word. Uh, he's accusing God of not keeping his word. And uh, as hard as we want to be on Moses, I think most of us have been here, right? It's hard to say, ah, Moses, you know, but... You know, as soon as you point at someone, right, you got how many pointing back at you? How many fingers are pointing back at you, right? But we, like life, it doesn't take much. Life can throw a few rotten eggs at us. 
Right? And here we are in the same shoes. We're grieving. We're questioning. We're doubting our calling, maybe. Think, little things get a little hard, and, and we're questioning our mission. We're questioning our calling. We're, sadly, we're doubting God's character, God's goodness. And uh, we won't spend much time there, but in chapter 6, twice, he actually references his speech problem again. You know, we thought that was over with. He brings up his tongue again, uh, twice. Actually, this time it's a little different. In chapter 4, verse 10, he said, I'm slow of mouth, don't send me, I'm slow of mouth. In this chapter, um, probably because of what happened last week, uh, or what we saw happen last week, he says this time, literally, I'm uncircumcised of lips. He says it twice in this chapter. I'm uncircumcised of lips. It's pretty derogatory. But um, it is interesting how... I probably shouldn't go down this trail, but it's interesting how his excuse changes a bit. You know, and, and it might just give us a little insight into their culture, and I'll explain what I mean. Like, one gal wrote her dissertation uh, for her doctorate on the, that phrase alone, circumcised of lips, because just because of some of the evidence that they've uncovered in the past 20 years or so involving um, idol worship. So, like, you, you're going to carve an idol and then you want it to be your God, you have to, you want it to embody your God, you had a lip cleansing ritual that you would do. You might like cleanse the lips a thousand times. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 has his lips purified so that he can speak for God. Um, uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, you see it in this bottom left, right, left hand picture to you. Uh, you see the opening of the mouth ceremony in Egypt where they would open the mouth of the dead. That's why some of the mummies have their... Their jaw is shut, but there's a gap there. It's really weird. But they would open up the mouth of the dead so that they could commune with the gods um, in the afterlife. Um, so, again, it might just, maybe I'm taking it too far, but it seems like Moses' concern in light of those things, in light of those cultural elements, has to do with his ability to speak God's word. Uh, he, he's concerned about divine enablement. And being God's representative, kind of like, like a prophet, you know? Uh, so, uh, I found that interesting, to say the least, because, you know, Moses, I think, understands who he's up against here. Uh, he views Pharaoh as a god, like an incarnate god character. And uh, with seriously dark powers, right? There's real dark powers at work here, real demonic stuff going on. And so um, I guess I just found this interesting to say the least, but also it helped make sense of the passage because you look at the beginning of chapter 7 and God says, look, I'll make you God to Pharaoh and Aaron's going to be your prophet. And from that point on, it's Moses and Pharaoh going head to head as the representatives of their God. You know, and it's like, whose hand is stronger? Uh, Pharaoh and his gods, or Moses and Yahweh? And uh, so basically, let's sum it up. God, God is saying to Moses, again, I'm adequate, Moses, where you are not, and I am with you, and I am empowering you. I will empower you. So, uh, but for now... Uh, Moses is lamenting, and Israel is despondent. They won't even listen anymore. They're just, they shut off anything that had to do with hope. 
and they're in need of reassurance. And so that's lastly what we see here. God reassures Moses in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, following. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of this land. You sense the Lord's confidence there, right? Everybody's weeping, everybody's despairing, and God says, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Basically, Pharaoh's rejection, Moses, is no setback. You're, you're weeping for nothing. Hate to say it, but this is all in his plan. And the plan is just getting started. Right? God's not even warmed up yet. And so he's and basically soon Pharaoh is gonna push Israel out the door. He's gonna say, Get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. But uh, look at so we had this 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 foreman's curse uh, just a little bit ago, and now look at how this curse is swallowed up by a poetic, reassuring promise from God. And I emphasized a few key words here in your notes. Look at verses two through eight. God spoke further to Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but, my, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as strangers. Further, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Uh, say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give you Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? You guys see any words that stood out there, anything repeat? Right? I, 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 and I am, I will, I will, I will. I mean, you get the picture. God is saying to Moses, it's because of who I am that you can trust me to fulfill what I said. It's just not going to happen in your timing, in your way, Moses. Trust me in this, right? He says, I am Yahweh. Uh, the, this poem is encapsulated on both ends by I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Verse 2, verse 8. You remember what Yahweh means? It's worth remembering. It's the greatest name of God that we have, that we know of, most memorable, significant, whatever. He's the, it means he's the all-sovereign, self-existent, self-sufficient, depend-upon-nobody God. Right? No one gives to God what God has not already given him. Everything God's the primary cause of everything. We, no one has ever given to God and expect to be repaid. It doesn't work that way. You know, I, everything comes from God. To him, from him, and through him are all things. And so, uh, God is reminding Moses of who he is because of who he is. He can know things are not spiraling out of control in his life and in this ministry that he's got. He's in control. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. He remembers his covenants. And he can't not because that's who he is. So, Moses doesn't need new information, does he? 
I, we didn't see anything here necessarily that God hasn't already told him. He doesn't need new information. He doesn't need a precise answer even. Sometimes like us, guys, when we go through junk in this life, when things go from bad to worse and life's throwing rotten eggs at us, uh, just like Job, Job who lost his home and his family and his health, Job didn't even need a pat answer. Job never got a pat answer from God. What did Job need reminded of? Who God is. God showed up to Job in, in his life and said, I am who I am, Job. I'm sovereign. That's basically all you end the book of Job with. And so when you're discouraged or you're despondent or you're, you're angry that life isn't going your way, maybe you're anxious about what the future hold, eh, holds, angry about what has happened, remember who God is. That's our message this morning, church. Nothing new. Remember who God is. For comfort, for humility, so you don't talk back to God like this and blame God for what's happening in your life. Uh, for a God-honoring response of faith. Guys, sovereignty is the pillow we rest our heads on. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that. I didn't look it up, but we rest our head on the sovereignty of God. It's like a pillow for us. You know, with the big things that go wrong in life, the loss of loved ones, whatever it is, the loss of a job, and even with the little things, right, when the van won't start right or run right, when the sound system just stinks on Sunday morning and you, you have to call in backup and whatever. God's sovereign. And I hate it when he makes me apply the passage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But very real this morning. So that's your principle. Remember Yahweh. Remember our sovereign God who is in control. And you know, I, I've been quoting Chuck Swindoll a lot, and that's because he 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 wrote my favorite book on Moses' life. And he said, he said this. He said, and, and someone shared it with me this week again, but he said, Life is ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent how you respond to it. 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. There's a lot of truth to that. And when life stinks and things don't go our way or it just seems to go from bad to worse, I can't think of anything more important uh, than just acknowledging God's sovereignty in it, in it. I know my God is in heaven. I know he does as he pleases. He's sovereign. And, and trusting him because whether we understand it or not, and whether God ever gives us a pat answer or not, whether your, your pastor can give you a, a good reason for why things happen or not, and I can't sometimes. Like, here's the thing. God's always carrying out his plans and purposes in the good, in the bad, and in the ugly, and he can use the evil for good. My guess is that if I asked any of the professing Christians here today if they believed in the sovereignty of God, they would say, you would say, Absolutely. Because if God's not sovereign, then he's not God. But sometimes the sovereignty is only in our head and we don't let it govern our hearts. We don't let it govern the way we think and feel. And if I don't let it govern my heart, if I don't trust God as sovereign, here's what it's going to look like. My life is going to be filled with unbelief. I'm a believer, but I can still be unbelieving. 
It's going to be bitter, not better. I'm going to be filled with self-pity. And I'm going to be emotional, sorry, motionless despondency. I'll end up in motionless despondency. I basically paralyzed from serving God, loving others, because all my attention has just gone inward. I won't see the good that God can use from the situation that I've just gone through. I won't see the good that can come from it, which means I I won't have a ministry down the road counseling others, helping others, comforting others who go through the same thing, and then I just won't see good things around me. I'll look around, and every sunny day is going to be a cloudy day. Folks, let the sovereignty of God be your pillow that you rest your head on. We have a God, guys, who's, who's unchanging, He's unthwartable, he's unlimited, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and if you don't mind, all-glorious. Even when we don't understand why. For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forevermore. Amen. Finally, nothing may demonstrate that his ability, guys, to take something ugly and confusing and broken and make it into something that's useful and beautiful. Nothing says that, nothing demonstrates that more than the cross. Where sinful men and Satan crucify the Son of God to the cross. Is there a more wicked act than that? Than crucifying the Son of God? And yet God took that most ugliest moment in the history of the world and used it to be the most glorious, most amazing moment to accomplish salvation once and for all and to fulfill his eternal plan that was already there. So as we close, let's remind ourselves again that Jesus, not Moses, is the perfect, um, fully incarnate divine deliverer. He's the one who never sinned, and because of that, he can take away our sins so we can be forgiven. Moses is not going to deliver Israel on his own. None of the Israelites can deliver themselves. We can't deliver ourselves either. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We're delivered through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, just for who you are. You are the great I am. You're the great and sovereign one. And I pray that the idea of your sovereignty would fall fresh on our hearts and minds this morning. And uh, as we consider uh, you as the all-sufficient, self-sufficient, adequate one, that it would bring about real heart change in our lives today that the sovereignty thing wouldn't just be in our heads but it would begin to govern our hearts and uh, and that we would walk in faith pray that we would trust you with everything that goes on in our lives uh, the big things and, and the small everyday inconveniences even that we would look to you we would trust you and, um, and uh, remember that you are good and you are in control and so we just pray these things in Jesus name Amen.